Beloved Church of God, beginning our service before God, let us stand and affirm the promise that relates to the door of our hope. Let the resurrection of Christ reign in our bodies. Let us bow our heads in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we thank you for this once again privilege to be in this place that you outlined for the worship of your holy name. And so allow your in the name of the covenant of blood be lifted to heights higher than us and to break all burden and sin that binds us. In the name of Jesus Christ, may in the service, as before, all the works of devil, illnesses, poverty, premature death, demonic dependencies, all forms of fear, phobias, destruction, stagnancy, ignorance, all of this, let it depart from the tents of your people. And so stand, Lord, in the place of your goodness, you in the ark of your greatness. And may your saints be clothed in your salvation, and may they rejoice before your countenance. Give us more from your Spirit. Fill us with your Holy Spirit, and allow us to find your holy countenance. We thank you that this servant is presented in your divine arms, and we ask you to continue to guide it with your high and uplifted hand, Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. May the Lord bless you. You may be seated. The book of Matthew, chapter 5, verses 45 and 48. So that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven, for he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. You, therefore, must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Called to perfection. This promised commandment is the inheritance of the saints of all time and generations. And this commandment is addressed by Christ to his disciples. Therefore, those who do not accept the authority of the person sent by God have no relation whatsoever to the inheritance of this commandment and cannot have one. To fulfill this command, we have stopped to study the purpose of God's righteousness in the heart of a person. What purpose is the righteousness of God in our heart intended to fulfill? Specifically, we have been studying that the purpose of the righteousness of God in our heart, except by us in the broken tablets of testimony in which we, with the law, died to the loss that we could live for the one who died and rose. And in this manner, receive the affirmation of our salvation in the new tablets that are intended to give God the basis to give us the promise to not through the law, but through the righteousness of faith, just as he had given it to Abraham and his seed. For the promise that he would be heir of peace was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. Romans 4.13 We are studying the sign according to which we should judge of our partaking to the sons of peace. This is according to the ability to clothe our essence into the holy or the selective love of God. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you are called in one body, and be thankful. Colossians chapter 3, verses 14 through 15. We have noted that according to this passage, the rule of the peace of God in our hearts 
is possible only under one condition, if we are clothed in the holy, selective love of God. The character of the selective love of God is presented by the Holy Spirit in the preached word of the apostles and prophets in the light of seven unearthly virtues. This is virtue, knowledge, self-control, patience, godliness, brotherly love, and love. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 2-8 through 8. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the Spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up in glory. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 Let us remember that the discipline of godliness and the selective love of God is called to keep us undefiled from that which God views as evil and to hallow God in our hearts and our souls. One of the many signs according to which we should test ourselves for the subject of the fact that in demonstrating the love of God, we are cooperating our godliness with the goodness of God. This is according to the presence of the fact that the Lord is our shepherd. Psalms of David A Psalm of David, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Yet though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Psalms 23 verses 1 through 6 Evidence that God is our shepherd in this Psalm of David are four components. This is, the Lord makes me lie down in green pastures. The Lord leads me beside still waters. The Lord restores my soul. The Lord leads me in the paths of righteousness. To test and weigh ourselves on the scales of justice, to see if we have these components, should be done by the presence of four other components that are discovered when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. We will fear no evil because God is with us. The Lord's rod and staff comfort us. God has prepared a table before us in the presence of our enemies. God has anointed our head with oil and our cup runs over. The Lord leads me in the paths of righteousness. This is one of the four signs that is evidence of the fact that the Lord is our shepherd and which, in turn, points to the fact that a person whom the Lord leads in the path of righteousness is led by the Holy Spirit. We have noted that it is impossible to lead a person on the paths of righteousness against his will if he does not understand and does not distinguish the path of righteousness from the path of his mind or from the paths of the wicked and lawless who support the wicked. In Hebrew, one of the components of the paths of righteousness discovers itself in the snares of the Most High, while the paths of the wicked are their snares into which they catch unapproved or unaffirmed souls. The rather complete meaning of the path of righteousness is the path of righteousness, the snare of righteousness, step of righteousness, foot of righteousness, trace of righteousness, 
the path of righteousness to the wisdom of God, growth, increase, and expansion on the paths of righteousness, partaking to the body of Christ on the path of righteousness. I will remind you that we are studying the paths of righteousness in the heart of a righteous person whose spirit lives in the house of the Lord. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They will still be praising you. Blessed is the man whose strength is in you, whose heart is set on pilgrimage. Psalms 84, verses 4 through 5. Today, we will stop to study one of the many signs of the path of righteousness in the heart of a person that discover themselves on the paths of the Lord, and in part, this is the meek, the way of the meek heart that discovers itself in the fruits of the tree of life. A meek tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. Proverbs 15, verse 4, and one more place of scripture. Good and upright is the Lord, therefore he teaches sinners in the way. The humble he guides in justice, and the humble he teaches his way. All the paths of the Lord are mercy and truth, to such as keep his covenant and his testimonies. Psalms 25, verses 8 through 10. In this kind of basis, the meek in heart give God, when they keep his covenant and his revelation, with the weapon of a meek tongue. Meekness in the dignity of a bridal tongue is the tree of life, grown in the soil of a good heart. It is the obedience of our faith to the faith of God. It is wisdom, strength, firmness, and power of the Spirit. It is trust in God and His Word, hidden in the heart. These are the snares of the kingdom of heaven in which we have caught ourselves. This is the fruit of the Spirit, grown by way of discipleship, for which the price of voluntary obedience is paid in obeying in, in obeying the preached word of the person whom God clothed in the powers of his fatherhood and established over us to give rest to our souls. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. In this place of scripture, Christ clearly tells us that he himself needed to learn meekness. He needed to become a disciple and learn from his heavenly Father. Because the meekness is not gained in the format of fruit. It is pointless to ask for God for it. It must be grown through teaching and instruction in faith. And so we've paid attention that for the price for being taught that discipline and meekness must be paid first before we find rest for our souls and become carriers of the good yoke of Christ. And this price is comprised of two conditions. First, this is to come to Christ, and second, this is to take His yoke upon ourselves. I will remind you that the yoke of Christ for us is the obedience to the faith of God, the will of God. Without fulfillment, of these two conditions, we will not be able to receive the authority to be clothed in the powers of a disciple of Christ. The goal that paths of righteousness pursues in the ways of the Lord by which God leads the meek is the right to give us the power to free our body from the captivity of decay and death 
so that in this place the power of eternal life will be raised up, filled with an abundance of peace that will satisfy us. For evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait on the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. For yet a little while, and the wicked shall be no more. Indeed, you will look carefully for his place, but it shall be no more. But the meek shall inherit the earth, and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. Psalms 37, verses 9 through 11. Jesus, as the root and stem of David, implemented the discipline of meekness as the contents of his teaching on the Sermon on the Mount as a necessary component for the right to adopt our bodies with his redeeming sacrifice. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth, Matthew 5, 5. Here, under the earth, Christ is referring to our bodies, and to inherit not just some kind of land somewhere, but the promised land, which was an image of our adoption and our redemption and our body that has been redeemed by God. God says, my eyes are always on this land. God's goal was always focused on the bodies of the chosen people of God in order to restore them in their previous state in which He could dwell in them forever. Meekness is one of the fruits of our spirit, which is called to be an integral characteristic by which it is necessary to determine and distinguish a spiritual person from a carnal person. It is the presence of the fruit of meekness that defines the status of a person's independence from a carnal state as well as the status of a person's independence from the Law of Moses the authority of which spreads on every person who is held captive of his corrupt, carnal desires. The ability to bridle our tongue with the bits of meekness comes from the wise heart that has the understanding and the mind of Christ which is the rational sphere of our new man that has grown in the full measure of the stature of Christ. A person, having come to God, he can't right away have the bridle of meekness, uh, understanding, or the mind of Christ. He can gain all of this only when he grows into the full measure of the stature of Christ, and for this it is necessary for him to fulfill one condition. It is there for him to be humbled and to become a disciple of Christ in order to follow after him and be taught by him, by his meekness. How do we pursue him? As we know, first it is necessary to cleanse our conscience from dead works by way of the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, to die to our nation, to the house of our Father, and to die to our corrupt desires. Then, in a heart that has been cleansed of dead works, we place the reigning teaching of Christ in it, and only after this we are able to take the cross and follow after Christ and be capable of paying the price for discipleship in order to inherit it, that peace that we will gain in His rest. And so, the lack of meekness is a lack of understanding according to which we should distinguish a spiritual person from a carnal person. The foolish believes every word, but the prudent considers well his steps. A wise man fears and departs from, departs from evil, but a fool rages and is self-confident. Proverbs 14, 15-16 Our ways are that which we accept into our heart. The foolish accepts every word, but these are his ways. 
the wise and the prudent do not believe every word that they hear. When someone comes to us and passes along some kind of slander that this person has said this or that of us, we ought not to believe all that we are told. Why? Because each person, due to his individuality, due to his individual relationship to us, will pass along information from his own position as he sees fit, as, as he sees fit, as he sees the situation. We must take the position, position of Scripture towards that person that has spoken of us. Who is God to that person in Christ Jesus? What God has done for him and who he is for God in Christ Jesus? It is possible that speaking those words of us, that person did not pursue that goal, that thought, that the one who passed along these words uh, intended to. That's why we ought to be calm and know how to accept and what to expect, accept. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Do not incline my heart to any evil thing to practice wicked works with men who work iniquity. And do not let me eat of their delicacies. Psalms 141, verses 3 through 4. Practically, David asked God of wisdom, thanks to which he could know when to be silent, when to speak, and what to speak. For there is not a just man on earth who does good and does not sin. Also, do not take to heart everything people say, lest you hear your servant cursing you. For many times also your own heart has known that even you have cursed others. Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verses 20 through 22. I was found at an appointment with pastor at one time and I began to uh, to complain of the actions of one holy person speaking of my resentment and my wounding heart. I saw myself as that person whom the thieves had had broken down on the path to Jericho and I was so wounded and laying there and I would wait that pastor as the good Samaritan would comfort me. But in the moment of my speaking, Pastor cut me off and calmly said to me that that person is not guilty. He is not doing these things. He does them. Uh, it's his old man that is doing them. In order to be rid from resentment, I ought to look at that person, that holy person from the position of Scripture. And all of a sudden, I understood the state of my heart and my thoughts. This was not me that was lying there, but my brother that was wounded by the thieves, by his old man, and my heart with its resentment and condemnation is that priest and that Levite who simply passed on by and presented the law that desired for retribution and in doing so uncovered my own old man with pride and selfishness. Given, lest you speak evil of others, how shall I correctly act towards the actions and words of the brother that are like fiery arrows that turn against me? This is to take the yoke of Christ and to learn from him his meekness, to show demonstration toward the delegated authority of God. And this authority is pastor. He is my neighbor. 
He has offered me this yoke. You could not put it on me. He gave me the decision, and the decision was after me. According to the words of Christ, I ought to go and to behave and bridle myself with a meekness, with meekness. I was rid of this resentment. I fully saw who I was in Christ, who my brother is in Christ. And having accepted the teaching that pastor had told me, that advice, I to this day am not tempted by the actions of people that somehow wound me or somehow behave towards me incorrectly. I thank God that we have the person, the delegated person, who is able to instruct us. Until we are clothed into our new bodies and in it will not be resurrected the power of life, then despite the fact that we have accepted justification and become righteous, but even in the moment of not doing good, we will sin with our words. Christ had said at once that sometimes people are wiser than the sons of light. In this sermon, Pastor brought up a poem about from one of the poets in which the poet had wrote in relation to such relationships when people speak incorrect words and not good words in relation to their friends. Allow me to read a little part of it. It's a very interesting poem. Know, my friend, that price and enmity and do not haste with judgment and anger. Anger could be haste. Maybe your friend himself has hurried and has offended you, not wanting to. Do not remind him of his sin. People, we are growing old with the passing of our years and days. And with each passing year, we lose our friends faster and gain them much slower. If the faithful horse all of a sudden stumbled, do not blame him. Blame the road, blame the path. And do not haste to change the horse. The salt is in the fact that the people of this world understand that in order to keep good relations, they ought not to pay attention to every word, but they must stoop down to their friends. How important it is for us to act toward one another, not accepting and not passing along any kind of rumors. It is according to our good relationship toward one another that we are going to be discovered as servants and disciples of Christ. And thus all shall know that you are my disciples. If you have love between one another, that stoops down, forgets evil, and remembers only good. With this, we should also note that any manifestation of the desires of the soul of a holy person that is not inspired by the truth of the cross of Christ in which they with the law die to the law, however good they may seem in our eyes, are corrupt and deadly because they come from the flesh. Envy standing head of works of the flesh is an integral component that is part of the natural characteristics of the flesh or a man of the flesh who does not have the mark of the cross. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, and the like. 
of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in the time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Galatians 5, 19-21. If you've paid attention, then in this list of the works of the flesh, envy as the leader stands as head of all of the following blemishes, whereas meekness in the fruit of its humility is the important component that is part of the characteristics of the Spirit that are inherent to a spiritual person. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, selfishness. Against such there is no law. Galatians 5, 22-23 And if meekness in the fruit of humility is being bridled and being submissive to the truth that tells us who to submit to, how to submit, when to submit, and what boundaries to submit, then in this manner, meekness and the fruit of humility discovers itself in self-control and long-suffering and peace, whereas envy discovers itself in haughtiness, in disobedience and in evil, because of which weakness is the sound of hell and the wide gap for the entrance of curse and death. That's why all of those that have not been rid of the virus of envy, despite all their desire, cannot inherit eternal life. And if meekness is the aroma of humility that is expressed in freshness and purity, then envy is the root of the Proverbs 12.4 An excellent wife is the crown of her husband, but she who causes shame is like rottenness in his bones. Envy murders, and we know, not we feel, but we know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. 1 John chapter 3, verses 14-15 through 15. Meekness and envy are two mutually exclusive programs that represent in our body the inheritance of two mutually exclusive and opposing sources in the format of two powerful potentials in the face of the new and the old man living in our body. And such opposition of these two powerful potentials in our body is yielded by the sovereign right of a person to obey the truth and the sovereign right to disobey the truth. The choice is ours. The choice of the path of obedience to truth and the choice of the path of disobedience to the truth is the opening of our powerful potential or that point of reference from which our movement begins towards those goals that stand at the end of these paths. The potential of meekness expressed in obedience to truth or in self-bridling our tongue is called upon to build us as children of God into the image of our Heavenly Father, 
who yields himself with the word proceeding from his mouth. I will worship toward your holy temple and praise your name for your loving kindness and your truth. For you have magnified your word above all your name. Psalms 138.2 We should note that the body of a holy person is going to be the temple of God only under the condition that man himself is going to be an organized partaker to the body of Christ, or rather belonging to a local church in which is preached the reigning teaching of Jesus Christ who came in the flesh. It is specifically in the body of a person that God magnifies his name above all his name his word above all his name have you magnified his word he is made a servant of his word he bridles himself by this word he does this with joy and he is vigilant over this word so that it can be fulfilled in the body of a person when we accept in our heart the promise regarding the adoption of our bodies to the redemption of christ it is very important to know that god is vigilant in the body of a person that is called to be the temple of the lord but we also, on our end, are also called to be vigilant along with Him. If God is going to be vigilant alone, then nothing will occur, because all that God will do for us, He will do only through the proclamation of our lips. And this is the collaboration of a person with God, and God with person. This also must not be a simple proclamation, but the proclamation of the faith in a heart, or rather proclamation of that promise that is clearly written on the tablets of our heart. And God, as he who reads, can easily read it. Pastor not long ago had highlighted regarding what is written in the heart that it should be noted that infants and the carnal don't have the Word of God clearly written in their hearts. God has clear eyes. If envy is not blotted out of our heart, God is not going to fulfill our desires that are comprised of His will and that we have accepted. If in our heart there will not be clarity for us ourselves of that which we proclaim, what the promise is for us, when they are called to occur, and what we need to do for this, then of course God will not be able to do something for us even despite all of our desire. The potential of envy expressed in disobedience to the truth of the word and in refusing to bridle our tongue in obedience to the truth of the word is intended to transform us into the children of the devil. The primary source of envy is the fallen cherub who turned himself into an adversary of God. Envy which finds itself in disobedience to truth reprogrammed the fallen cherubim into the fetid creature of eternal darkness, sowing death. He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. 1 John 3, 8 the sin of the devil consisted in pride, which engendered envy. Pride is a state in which the creation begins to consider itself the creator, not holding on to the head. And then when the fallen cherub began to consider himself a god, 
he saw the obvious advantages of God and envied him. This envy was a virus and rot in his bones and transformed him into an eternal enemy of God. A meek heart is life to the body, but envy is rottenness to the bones. Proverbs 14.30 Based on the existing statement, and it is not the only one about meekness, Meekness carries life for the whole body and yields the power of eternal life intended for the healing and health of our entire body. This is a unique medicine. We can turn to doctors, we can do all that we try, but if our tongue does not have the bridle of meekness, then we are going to have new viruses and illnesses, and illness itself will progress. But if we, each time the desire comes up to speak some kind of negative word, if we withhold ourselves, recognizing and understanding that we ought not to speak that word that does not coincide the standard of truth, then in this manner we give God the basis to begin the process of the healing of our body. It is by the power of the potential of meekness that the power of eternal life will be erected in our body whereas the presence and the cultivation of envy in our heart carries for the whole body the volume of various diseases and leads our body to a painful and eternal death. One indisputable thing should be noted. As sweet and bitter water cannot flow out of one source at the same time, and just as a good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit, so in one person, meekness and envy cannot coexist. In Scripture, a bone, both literally and figuratively, represents the strength of the human body, the strength of the human spirit, and the strength of our faith. Did you not pour me out like milk, says Job, and curdle me like cheese? Clothe me with skin and flesh, and knit me together with bones and sinews. You have granted me life and flavor, and your care has preserved my spirit. Job chapter 10, verses 10 through 12. When envy arises in a person through the fact that he allows Satan to put some rebellious thought into his heart, it produces the same effect in a person that rotting bacteria in bones produces. In medicine, purulent inflammation of bone tissue is characterized as osteomyelitis. The disease usually begins with the appearance of a small bruise into which bacteria get from the source of infection that exists in the human body. These bacteria, symbolically in scripture, they are characterized as bacteria of envy. Jesus said, What comes out of a man that defiles a man? For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murderers, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these things come from within and defile a man. 
When God created the visible world, He allowed the center of infection to be present in the physical world, expressed in personified envy in the face of an ancient serpent. For God created man to be immortal and made him to be an image of His Son, His own eternity. Nevertheless, through the envy of devil came death into the world, and they that did not hold of his side do find it. Wisdom of Solomon, chapter 2, verses 23 through 24. The source of infection opened the possibility for a person to show his sovereign right to choose obedience or disobedience. If a person had only one opportunity to obey, but at the same time he would not have had the opportunity to disobey, such an order would contradict the universal harmony of God, since it would deprive a person of the sovereign right to choose between good and evil and between life and death. And man could not be called a man, that is, to be a sovereign person reflecting the likeness of God. It would be simply an animal being programmed by the animal instinct for obedience. With a choice of obedience and disobedience to God, which would be expressed in the choice between meekness and envy, which carry a life and death in themselves, a person could be called a person and carry in himself the likeness of him who created him. And no matter how tragic it was, but the first man, our forefather Adam, according to the envy of the devil, chose death. He did not select evil itself, he selected death, and in this death was the program of envy. This is just like we in a computer place some kind of file and then all of a sudden we unpack it and everything that we need or don't need is then installed. And Adam chose death and all that was unpacked for him was his curse. There was envy present there. In the same way we also accept meekness when we unpackage it, when we uncover it. There is blessing in it. As the result of that which we have accepted in what we stand in and in what we dwell in. And then the hearth of envy present in the fallen cherub moved to the man himself, and the man became the bearer of envy inherited from the devil. And this envy first manifested itself in man through Cain, who killed his brother Abel. And then God, in order to save His creation and give Him a second chance to choose between life and death, God, through the obedience of the second man, Jesus Christ, expressed in His given choice to be gentle and show meekness, gave man the opportunity to learn how to put on meekness in order to inherit eternal life. By choosing a program of meekness, we assert ourselves as children of God and inherit eternal life. By choosing the program of envy, we, like Cain, form ourselves into the children of the devil and are subject to eternal destruction. Turning to his enemies, Jesus said, Why do you not understand my speech? Because you are not able to listen to my word. You don't have this inclined ear. 
with which you could hear. Your fa- you are of your father the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and does not stand in the truth, because there is no truth in him. Tension. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. John 8, verses 43-45 through 45. When he speaks lies, he speaks his own. You remember the paths of righteousness. They were presented by pastor in the golden a street that is transparent as glass. And the purity or the clarity of the street defines purity. There were no impurities of the flesh there. There were no inclusions of the human intellect. It is pure and transparent as crystal. This is the path of righteousness. A person who comes to God and does not rule over the genetic inheritance of his envy through obedience to truth is a person who refuses to stand in the truth and for the truth. And this situation is the result of our choice, which determines either the emergence and development of envy or the emergence and development of meekness. I have offered you death and life, says God, but I want you to choose life. Programmed envy, the carrier of which is our old man, opens in our body as well as in our spirit a wide gap for all kinds of infectious viruses and bacteria. And that is why many prayers about healing and other kind of timely help remain unanswered. And therefore, envy that is not uprooted will have the power and authority to transform us into the vessels of anger and will lead us as Cain to eternal perdition. And envy that is directed to us from the outside against which strength of a tower will not be built and against which the weapon of righteousness will not be used will kill our body as had happened in the instance with Abel. Building defensive stronghold against envy is practically the development and strengthening of the immune system of our spirit which expresses itself in the strongholds of a meek heart. Whether we want it or not, we are all set to solve two problems. First, how to challenge the envy arising within ourselves, and secondly, how to challenge the envy that comes against us from the outside from our neighbors, specifically of the carnal people who have no spirit, who are also the carriers of envy, but have not bound their old man And that is why, whether they want this or not, they begin to express this envy in the most horrible. They cover it with the outward appearance of godliness. Building defensive strongholds and meekness against self-envy is a process, and at the beginning of each process, the choice of strategy is necessary. That expressed, firstly, in the choice of the means of defense, in the choice of the methods of defense, and third, 
in choosing a detailed defense plan. It is impossible to simply lead a strategy of defense. It is necessary to simultaneously attack as well. If we carry only a defense, we will lose. Yes, we ought to be protected from our en from our enemies, but first we must lead the strategy of offense. When God brought Israel into the Promised Land, He gave them the strategy of offense to of attack, so that the people of God can take over that which was in the hands of the enemy, but was the property of Israel and His inheritance. And so, the first task is. How do we protect ourselves from envy coming from the depths of our old man? And how do we destroy its strongholds? We must know that we cannot choose the means and methods at our own discretion, as well as develop a plan in accordance with our own capabilities. It would have been no longer the creation of the strongholds of meekness in our spirit, against the envy inherited from the sinful life of our fathers, but the carte blank for the strongholds of envy. For building up the strongholds of meekness against the envy inherited by us, God offered us His means, His ways, and His plan in the truth of Scripture and in the wisdom and power of the Holy Spirit, which we can receive only through instruction in faith. The means are associated with the price to be paid for the knowledge of meekness. Ways are associated with the imitation of the carriers of meekness. The plan is connected with the time allotted and the sequence in which it is necessary to increase in bringing the fruit of meekness. The second task is, how do we protect ourselves from envy coming from outside from our neighbors? And how do we triumph over it? Any blessing and success we experience will arouse jealousy in religious people. This is one of the terrible kinds of curses with which the envious sow hatred, mistrust, and hostility among the holy people. Again, I saw that for all toil, and every skillful work a man is envied by his neighbor. This is also vanity and grasping for the spirit. Ecclesiastes 4.4 Here this vanity is sin and sinfulness. A man who sows envy and is at the mercy of envy is considered by God as a murderer. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Envy is expression of hatred. It is specifically it that gives birth to death. No matter what level of, an, of anointing an envious person has, and he might have 
anointing and great will be his level and no matter how successful he is he will use his anointing that is given to him by God against the blessed servants of God Cain unable to cope with his envy against his brother Abel kills him highly placed and anointed by God Korah, Dathan and Abiram because of envy of Moses and Aaron are cast down to hell when they were alive King Saul, anointed by God because of envy of David who was anointed by God, falls on his sword. Even such a far from God man as the Vicar of Rome and Judea, Pilate, could easily determine that the religious synod of Israel, by virtue of their envy, used the anointed power given to them from God against God himself. But Pilate answered them, saying, Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? For he knew that the chief priests had handed him over because of envy. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd so that he would rather release a Barabbas to them. Mark 15, verses 9 through 11. Barabbas, those that he was a thief. So we see who was who when each asks for that which is near to him. So as the place of envy is our flesh, or rather, our old nature, the means that God has prepared for us to cast down the stronghold of envy in ourselves is meekness expressed in the truth of the cross of Christ. The only way to abolish the nature of envy is one way. It's through the truth of the cross of Christ which dissolves not envy, but the programmable device of this enemy in the face of this envy, in the face of our old man. And thus it deprives the very possibility of envy existing in ourselves. So the truth is intended to eliminate the results of envy. As Pastor had many times told us, we are not called to tie devil, but we are called to tie or bind our old man that is living in us. We are simply called to step on devil and cast him out from our limits. When we bind our old man and when we place him into the prison in our body, then he is going to lose the opportunity to produce envy and other kinds of blemishes. We are going to feel that he is somewhere there, but he is going to lose power and we will easily be able to deal with him. I remember here how Pastor had shown when when Israel had left out of Egypt. But Egypt had pursued Israel. Here, if you pay attention, this represents, Egypt represents our fleshly mind, who hears the noise of our old man. And God, it is written, he then moved himself and he stood between Israel and the army of Pharaoh. And he became a shield, a living shield for the warriors of prayer, for the new man, for the mind. How did he become a shield? Through our proclamation. When we proclaim the faith of our heart, when we do not accept that which comes from us, when we reject all thoughts that do not coincide with the truth of Scripture, when we do not accept 
slander, or rumors, that God becomes our living shield and protects us from ourselves inside, from our old man. And regarding the prison, I really remembered this place of scripture, and Pastor had shown, I will say it, and the angels, that lost their dignity, he is keeping until the day of darkness. And this prison is found in our old man. God specifically through us is keeping these angels in our hearts, in our old man, forgive me. And this is an honor for each of us. The bridle of meekness is when a person refrains himself, does not speak negative words in his address, I can't, this isn't for me, God doesn't hear me, I don't. I am not needed by anyone, and so forth. We must remember that the truth regarding the blood of the cross of Christ is called to liquidate the result of envy, while the truth about the cross is intended to eliminate envy itself from our heart. Therefore, a means of liquidation and protection against envy, rising from the darkest depths of our sinful life, transmitted to us from our fathers is a clear, reasonable, and sober doctrine of the truth of the cross of Christ, which is based on the entirety of Scripture and not on some of its separate parts. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. James chapter 3, verses 13 through 17. A meek person is opposed to the manifestation of envy in oneself with the powers of wisdom descending from above, which manifests itself in the fear of the Lord and is constantly withdrawing in its thoughts and in its imagination from evil. I, God says, I will lay wisdom in the wise hearts. God lays his wisdom, as we remember, in the wise hearts. And such resisting and uprooting of envy will sooner or later begin to act in the person as healing for his entire body and nourishment for his bones. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. Proverbs 3, 7-9 The methods of protection prescribe what method or how we are called to use the bridle of meekness, protecting ourselves from envy that arises in the depths of our old nature. In practice, methods of protection against envy are in the strategy of meekness designed not so much to restrain the pressure of dark envy, as to exert pressure on it. 
As meekness is bridling one's own language and self-discipline, not the language or the tongue of our neighbor, then we should be aware that the strategy of such self-discipline, holding back the manifestation of envy and at the same time putting pressure on it, consists of the discipline of teaching good thinking, Second, we are called to keep our thinking in Christ Jesus. This is a kind of place, as we heard, where not one unclean bird in the image of unclean thoughts can come. There fly only the birds of heaven, the revelations of the Lord, that rest in the branches of the tree of life which we have grown in ourselves. It is very important what kind of word we accept and we keep. We ought to ponder over that word which we do not understand yet accept. For as he thinks in his soul, so is he. If we want to be taught to control our lips, it is necessary to first be taught to control our thinking. And thinking is controlled when a person looks not at what is earthly but on the invisible because we ponder upon those images which we have seen before second it is in the discipline of professing good thinking good thinking is who God is for us in Christ Jesus what God has done for us in Christ Jesus, who we are to God in Christ Jesus. When we begin to proclaim our good thinking, then in this moment, devil cannot slander and, and third, in the discipline of righteous manners and behavior. This is to strive to live according to our proclamations. Incline your ear and hear the words of the wise. And apply your heart to my knowledge, for it is a pleasant thing that if you keep them within you, let them all be fixed upon your lips, that your trust may be in the Lord. I have instructed you today, even you, and you remember. Proverbs chapter 22, verses 17 through 19. Here we see the relationship of the Son and Father. The Father instructs the Son that the son ought to incline his ear in order to hear the words of the wise. To incline the ear is to prepare our heart to hearing the word when we go into the house of God. The discipline of good thinking, good proclamation, and good behavior is first a way of preparing the soil of our heart for the seed to receive the word of truth and second, it is at the same time a way to put the seed of the Word of God into the soil of our heart. And thirdly, it is a way to keep our heart from evil thoughts. Truth that is accepted and placed in our heart through the discipline of meekness becomes in our mouth a confession of the Word of Faith. Therefore, the method of protection, both from personal envy and from any other sinful dependence, 
involves a set of components that allow us to move a kind word from the natural sphere to the supernatural, in which it becomes the seed of faith. In this method, is carried out is carried out through prayer, in which a person must present to God proof testifying to His rights, to work with the truth abiding in His heart, and to work with the Holy Spirit, revealing the truth in His heart. First, this is evidence of our rights that we are the children of God. Second, this is to firmly hold on to this evidence. Third, this is the willingness to listen and perform the word that we hear. And fourth, to reflect or meditate on what we heard. To meditate is to alone speak out loud what we have heard and what we are thinking of. Thus we receive new thinking and the Holy Spirit will receive the opportunity to reveal to us those truths over which we ponder. It is necessary that our hearts and our lips work as a team. The Lord created our heart and our mouths interconnected as if by marriage. And when we try to use one without the other, this looks like adultery. This is when we say that which is not in our heart, or where is one thing in our heart and we say something completely different. Again, this looks like adultery because God has created a union between our lips and our heart. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Romans chapter 10, verses 9 through 10. The words of faith released from our heart is a powerful force corresponding to the power of the Word of God emanating from the mouth of God. The defense plan assumes that certain confessions are proclaimed at a specific time indicated by God. And this ability depends on how much we can distinguish the signs of the times that serve to our peace. The most common mistake in the confession of the words of faith that Christians commit is the lack of anticipation. The lack of anticipation is the lack of restraint of oneself by the truth of the Word of God, which indicates a blemish in meekness. What is this blemish specifically? If you remember, not long ago, Pastor said, this, uh, these are cares. Cares that are tied to phobias of inexistent fear and are the result of conscious ignorance by a person. Now Joshua had commanded the people, saying, You shall not shout or make any noise with your voice, nor shall a word proceed out of your mouth until the day I say to you, Shout. Then you shall shout. Joshua 6.10 A carnal person, despite all of his desire, hear the words of his kingdom of heaven, which he, which he likes, in which he begins to proclaim. Such action will testify only of the fact that proclamation is found in an incorrect time. We must begin 
not from proclamation, but from cleansing our conscience from dead works by way of the cross of Christ. And then, in a cleansed heart, we carry in there the teaching of Jesus Christ who came in the flesh, and only after this a person will be able to accept the seed of the kingdom of heaven. And having accepted the seed, there is then the opportunity to accept the Holy Spirit as Lord in our heart. Only He can make the seed alive that we have accepted. The Holy Spirit will give the opportunity and open the truth accepted in the heart. And in order to begin to be led by the Holy Spirit, we must grow in the full measure of the stature of Christ. Only then the Holy Spirit will be able to come and to knock on our hearts. And having opened to Him, we will begin to be led by the Holy Spirit. But before this, whether we wanted to or not, we were led by our own carnal mind. When in our hearts the paths of righteousness in the ways of the Lord containing within themselves the program of God, manifested in the broken tablets of the covenant, find their expression the new tablets of the covenant in bridling our lips. This means that we will do our good will, or our good will will cooperate with the good will of God. Amen, saints. We shall pray and thank God for this pleasing and wonderful time that we have a person, an instructor, who uncovers such wisdom to us that we are able to be able, that we are able to challenge envy and all works of the flesh that attack us. Amen. Dear Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we thank you again and again for this presented opportunity to be in this place that your hand has outlined for the worship of your holy name. We thank you for the fullness of redemption that you have shown in your Son, Jesus Christ that you have given him to us so that we are able to be justified by faith in your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for the immeasurable riches of your goodness which you have revealed in these times. We thank you for the mystery that you reveal in this mystery is Christ in us. I thank you that in Christ Jesus you forgive us all our debts and you do not remember our transgressions. I thank you, Father, that your Son 
was crucified for our sins, that by his wounds we are healed, that we are now able with firm faith, with boldness, trusting in your redemptive sacrifice to run to you as your sons and to receive help from you. I thank you, Heavenly Father, that in Jesus Christ we are a new creation. I thank you that we have a conscience that is cleansed of dead works. I thank you for the teaching. I thank you above all that you uncover the immeasurable grace that we have. Thank you, Heavenly Father, along with your church on this place. May the words of my lips and the meditations of my heart be pleasing unto you, O Lord. Create in me a clean heart and revive in me an upright spirit. Allow me to hear your mercy in the morning. Teach me to fulfill your will, for you are my God. Your spirit, let it lead me into the land of uprightness, and for your name, Lord, Lead my soul, and according to your mercy, destroy all those who afflict my soul, for I am your servant. Dear Heavenly Father, May our pastor be blessed. May he be given the word for your church. May he be given new revelations. For without revelation from above, the people are not bridled, but he who observes your law is gracious. We cry out to you for your abundant mercy. I hallow your holy name in your temple, Lord. I worship before your temple, for you have magnified your word above all your name. We thank you, Lord, for these minutes of fellowship. We thank you and we bow down with you, our loving Father, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. 
and we shall proclaim our unchanging manifestation. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with unblemished joy, to God our Savior who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power both now and forever. Amen.